Welcome to PharmaTalk Radio Podcasts. This podcast is focused on partnering with your compliance teams to advance meaningful collaboration with patients from the 2022 Patients as Partners Europe Conference. For more information about the Patients as Partners Europe Conference, our editorial, podcasts, and webinars, please visit theconferenceforum.org. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. Welcome everyone to this session this afternoon in a very interesting and complex and developing area. We've got a fantastic panel here with us today and I'll get them to introduce themselves in a moment. Before we begin, if you do have some questions, please do pop them in the chat. We'll try to answer them, but if we run out of time, we will collate them and get back to you uh, with answers later. But to kick off today, I'd like to get the panel to introduce themselves. So I will start with Jane Spink. Jane, would you like to introduce yourself quickly? Thank you, Natalie. Uh, I'm the Translational Research Director for a charity called Prostate Cancer Research that's been funding biomedical research for over 30 years and that now is looking at ways to better support and promote research through to the clinic. And as part of this work, we're expanding our patient involvement and engagement program. Um, I'm a biomedical scientist by training. I've worked for the government. I've worked for the National Institute of Health and Clinical Excellence, and I've been in the third sector about 15 years in senior roles related to policy research and advocacy. And last but not least, I'm a member of the ABPI Patient Advisory Council, which supports the ABPI board and its senior exec team in terms of its patient engagement work. And I'm very happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you, Jane. James, would you like to say hello? Yes, uh, James, I'm at MSD in the UK. Uh, I have some experience over too many years of some other companies and other parts of the world. I lead policy and communications for part of MSD's portfolio, and I have particular involvement in how we engage with the public, with patients and with patient groups. And I'm involved in some of the governance of that with a range of other very good colleagues at the company. Thanks, Natalie. Thanks, James. Victoria, would you like to say hello? Certainly. Hi, hello, everybody. Victoria Bates. I'm an independent consultant, and as part of my portfolio, I lead patient engagement on behalf of the ABPI. Uh, my background is I'm a nurse and midwife, um, and I've spent um, uh, a number of years working in pharma, collaborating both with health systems across Europe, the UK, and working with patient communities. Thanks, Victoria. And Alex? Thank you, Natalie. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Alex Potlog. I am the um, legal director for the UK and Ireland at APFI. Um, and I am uh, really appreciate the opportunity to be here and take part in this uh, discussion. I'm sure it will be very interesting, but overall the event, you know, for a person with a legal background is really fascinating because I'm, uh, I find myself most of the time uh, in, in a position where I can engage with different teams and different functions across APFI. Uh, but as an innovative pharmaceutical company, for us, it's really all about the patients and the patients are constantly at the forefront of our thinking and uh, our decision making. Um, so it's, it's, it's really um, interesting for me personally to have an opportunity to see how the uh, you know, legal work that I'm doing actually ends up uh, impacting uh, patients in a positive way. Brilliant. Thank you, Alex. And with that, I'd like to kick off this discussion. We, we've heard a lot today about jargon and terminology and how that can get in the way of, of communication. So to start off the session, it would be great if I could hear from some members of the panel about 
what, what do we actually mean when we're talking about compliance? And I'm going to start with the industry perspective. James, if you'd like to kick us off with that. Yeah, I mean, briefly, I think, I think what we mean by compliance is doing things the right way and making the right choices in respect of the obligations we have as a crucial industry, a medicines industry. What could be more important than that? And specifically, I think we're talking about compliance with um, regulatory requirements uh, in, in the UK with MHRA and more broadly with the European Medicines Agency. Um, I think we're talking about voluntary code of practice. So FPA in Europe or ABPI in the UK and their requirements. But then from both of those, uh, you know, as Alex will say, some legal requirements, but also, um, you know, the choices companies make. Uh, to interpret those things and to impose their own compliance routines, I guess. That's what it is for me, I think. And I think that's interesting for, from, from an industry perspective. Alex, did you want to add anything into that again from the industry perspective? I think maybe just to build a little bit on what James was saying, it's really important to have a clear understanding of the sort of internal and also the external facet of compliance. And from an external perspective, I think James was already alluding to, you know, the legislation that is applicable and the uh, codes of uh, ethics and conduct that are applicable across um, you know, industry associations across different countries and things like that. But it, it's also important for our partners, and in this case, you know, the patient organizations to uh, be mindful of the fact that there will be some internal compliance requirements as well, which will obviously vary from company to company. And given that there are different functions within the same company that engage with uh, with patients, you know, whether from a cl clinical trial and R&D perspective, market research, commercial, market access, they will each sort of come to the table with their own internal processes and internal requirements. And it's it can be very complicated sometimes, and it's a very complex environment to navigate. So I think from, from my perspective as a company lawyer, I, I feel responsible in a way, uh, and I feel like I share in the burden of uh, having to help not just my um, sort of internal stakeholders, but also the external stakeholders that we engage with sort of navigate through this complexity. And I think it's an important part of our role as an industry to distill these apparently complex compliance requirements into something that is, you know, flexible, easy to understand and easy to work with. And I think it's really interesting that you point to that complexity, you know, if even within the industry, we see that as complex, it'd be quite interesting to hear from you, Jane, about the external perception of, of, of compliance from a patient organization perspective. Yeah, patient organizations uh, have two things when they think about compliance, compliance with the rules of their own regulator, but also around reputational risk and guarding their reputation with patients supporters and the public around independence and transparency so that's always going to be top of mind for patient groups um, and most have got really clear policy statements that are published in terms of how they can work with industry but when it comes to working with industry what we tend to find is that the finer details on compliance differ between companies and also it's not terribly uniform the process that you need to go through to reach an agreement with the company around a project or a collaboration and that level of complexity can be really confusing particularly where um, organizations are looking to work with more than one company and they're finding different rules and different processes and as we're developing this increasing appetite for active collaboration where we co-create and we work collaboratively with companies this gets even trickier for us to negotiate as patient organizations. 
And I think that's such a key point, isn't it? We've got this, this, this complex concept of compliance and against that we have a lack of, of uniformity and, and a shifting relationship with patient organizations. Victoria, I know you've done a, a lot of work in around this area and I'd be interested to hear what you think about that particular challenge and some solutions to, to overcome it. Yeah, no, thank you, Natalie. And I think last year, the ADPI launched its patient engagement strategy. And as part of that, undertook a piece of work to really think about how do we partner more effectively? How do we collaborate more effectively? And just as Jane says, you know, we, we firstly wanted to understand from patient communities as well as from members, what was getting in the way? What were those challenges so that we could then start to think about the solutions we could put in place? And as shared, process was one of the biggest challenges that, and not just process in terms of code, ABPI, and the fact that every company may well have its own interpretation. And given that headquarters can be in different countries, will have different restrictions, different guidance but also just amongst the team within the market that are engaging, making sure that the commercial team, the research team, the compliance team have all got together and agreed what they're going to do before they embark and head out to have a conversation with a patient charity about what they want to do. The second issue is um, around knowledge. And as Alex and James have just shared, and just being able to provide the understanding of what the code says and ensuring that the patient community and the actual member company understand what they're going to engage on, how they can contract, the time it's going to take and the resource that's required. And the third thing is culture, really ensuring that there's an aligned culture between the patient charity and the organizations that want to work together and within culture even getting down to language so terms such as value can mean really different things for different individuals and different organizations so it's really important to get those aligned in terms of solutions just briefly natalie the abpi we're hosting collaboration surgeries now where we're actually deconstructing case studies of successful collaborations and sharing those with members and patient charities to say, how was that done? So it's very much about applied learning as opposed to reviewing the codes, the company guidance, really starting to think about, well, it can be done. Here's somebody that's done it. Let's share some of those practices. So that's one of the, the solutions that we're really heavily supporting now. And I think that ability to share learning is so key, isn't it? And sort of underlines this session today. Jane, do you have any response to, to some of those points in there? Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely what's needed. I, I, re, I recall um, a decade ago asking, you know, how do we interpret this code with industry to develop meaningful, impactful um, collaborations? And that there being not a lot of um, source of guidance back on how the code could help us work together across our two industries. So having that shared learning, having the collaboration at surgeries and that applied learning, I think is gonna be really, um, really key, both for charities and for companies. Um, I, I would say that charities are collaborative by nature. And I suppose one of the areas, just think a little bit out, is how we work across more than one stakeholder. So if we understand how we work with industry, how do we play in, um, the health service and, and policymakers and so on. 
And then just a second point about this, this value and the value of working with patient organisations. I think that a slightly uncomfortable observation from me is that embedded in the culture of some companies is the mindset that charities like professionalism, they lack expertise, they lack the capacity to lead a collaborative project or even to operate as equal partners in the origination and development and deployment of projects. And I think if we can start to shift that using some of those examples, that'd be really incredibly um, valuable to, to both industry and to patient organizations. That is a huge culture shift, isn't it? I, I, James or Alex, I don't know if, if either of you would like to pick up on, on, on that point. Uh, James, I think you took yourself off of mute first. I'm gonna to go to you first and then Alex. <laughs> no, I think James sets an excellent challenge to us because the unintended consequence, let's say it's unintended, of some of the depth and weight of our compliance routines is that industry becomes very directive. It expects more than it gives, perhaps, and it wants to direct how projects work, to frame them, to then ask patient groups to respond to that and be part of industry's ideas. Obviously, that's not very acceptable. So we're aiming for a situation in which there is co-creation and a parity of of power, if you like, within a collaboration between industry and the, the patient group se sector as a whole. So I, I think it's a point very well made. Part of that is, I think, bringing companies along the journey together in their many functions. This Congress has shone a light on just how many different ways industry needs to relate to patients and patient groups. So it's about so many different functions becoming more and more conversant with this whole area and becoming able to operate to a very high standard, but also with profound empathy and engagement and, a, and a, as I say, a kind of parity of power basically within the relationship. Um, Alex, anything to add? No, I would just really echo your points, James. I think they're very well made. It's, uh, it's a complex environment and it's almost inevitable that you will have differences in terms of uh, both companies and uh, patient organizations' uh, ability and capacity to engage with all of, these all of this complexity. Uh, and I think that's normal and it's not something that we should uh, sort of avoid. It, it, what's important, I think, is that we sort of, whenever it feels like we're hitting this wall of complexity, that we kind of go back to the principles. Um, and, and I think that, you know, transparency and protecting the independence of patient organizations are paramount. Uh, and, and also building this genuine collaboration, as you said, equal footing partners along the same journey. I think this is really a, a critically important approach that, uh, that we need to embed across the industry as well. And, and picking up on a point that, that Jane made earlier, it's not just about the charities or the patient organizations working with a single company, there's also a drive to maybe work with across companies as well. And what are some of the complexities there, Alex, from, 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 a, from a legal perspective that, that, that you face and, and how do we deal with those without taking two years to set these projects up? Yeah, that's always the tricky one, Natalie, isn't it? I mean, from, from an industry perspective, you know, we're, we're quite used, I think, as, as companies to come together in all sorts of different forums, whether it's, uh, you know, ABPI working groups or uh, uh, even events such as this one. Um, but, but I think what, what we sort of, the reason why we're confident in having these um, 
company collaborations between what are ultimately direct competitors is our sort of level of pre-existing awareness about the do's and don'ts from a legal perspective. And I think it's really important when we sort of come together with patient orgs, with charities, um, to build this cross-industry collaboration involving multiple companies, I think that's a very productive thing to do. And I think it can lead to fantastic outcomes for patients, but we still need to be conscious of the legal responsibilities that we have and the legal restrictions that are in place. And obviously the main thing to consider here would be competition law and information exchanges between competitors and things like that. But at the end of the way, at the end of the day, a lot of this sounds really daunting when you think about it. And it's so, oh, such a complex area of the law and the risks are so high and so on. But ultimately, you know, what the uh, last few years have shown us, uh, uh, at least from my perspective, is that um, there are ways in which uh, business teams and medical teams and R&D teams can partner with their internal legal and compliance colleagues to translate these uh, requirements and these guardrails into stuff that's really simple and straightforward and actionable. And that really makes a lot of sense if you think about it. And I think you bring up some good points there, both about external learning and, and internal partnership. I, I, I noticed there's, there's a question that, that came up, and, and Victoria, this, this may be towards you, towards, you know, utilizing that external learning. And, and the question was, when, when will the um, outputs of the ABPI collaboration series, will they be publicly available and, and what sort of time frame? Um, absolutely. I think the, the key thing that we want to do is to be able to share those case studies. So at the moment, there's a portal that shares case studies between um, ABPI members and the NHS. But what we'd really like to do is then to expand that and start to share those case studies between pharma and patient communities, which then can start to really share those learnings. So I think that we embarked on this last year. Um, so this is kind of we're just into we've had our first experiences and feedback and so this year it's a really good challenge so we should do that and just um, responding listening to what Alex has just said two of the things that I think really helps um, both with individual company engagement but also multi-company is really good facilitation when embarking on those programs but also real really clear clarity of what each organization is actually going to undertake so the more that it could be identified the purpose and the role of each individual organization the more that helps then when engaging with compliance teams to be able to find the solution to how to contract and how to engage and just one other thing that came to mind and i know claire nolan is actually in the audience today but the charities research involvement group is actually undertaking a piece of research right now to say what can what can charities do differently in how they engage with the industry and expand the offers and the the model to engage with the industry which is seeing the charities take the lead and start to evolve what they're doing and again i know that the group will start to share that when that's published but that will be going out to pharma in the next few weeks so that's really exciting as well and I think that's a really important point, because as we talk, we tend to talk again, I think maybe with the lens of industry as if we're the powerful person in the dynamic. But in fact, there is, you know, does the leadership sit with the, with the with charities, the patient organization organizations as well? And Jane, I'm just wondering what your reflection is on that. I have jotted down James's phrase parity of power, and I intend to sprinkle it liberally wherever I go. Um, <laughs> 
because I, I really do think that patient organisations are becoming increasingly aware that their expertise is important and valuable. Um, and I feel passionate about that. I, I absolutely believe that whilst um, patient organisations are seeking to change the ways that they work with industry partners, I think it's great to know that industry are also looking to new models and new ways of working with charities because removing some of those sort of lingering barriers to comfortable collaboration can only be to the good in terms of patient outcomes and quality of life and the things that we care about. Yeah, I, I think I think that's that's a fantastic point. There's another question that, that that's come through the chat here, and um, I, I think there, there's a wider point here, but it, it's sort of more again I think directed at, at, at you, Victoria, in terms of are there any plans to expand the membership of the Patient Advisory Council to high-level independent patient advocates rather than solely representative from patient organisations? So uh, I'm, I'm wondering if there's a question in here around the compliance complexities, not just with patient organisations, but also with, you know, with the patient advocates, the, you know, and, and, and individual patients. And I'm going to start with you, Victoria, then maybe go on to, to Alex and James for a comment on that. Yeah, no, thank you. I I think the ambition, when, when the Patient Advisory Council was established, the ambition was to make it as diverse and broad a patient voice as we possibly could, but also um, as pragmatic in that that group is engaging directly with the ABPI board. So how could we get as broad a community of patient voices that could help inform the industry strategy? So to do that, um, at the moment, the Patient Advisory Council, which will rotate, so there will be opportunities to actually adapt and think about the membership in the future, but um, it is made up of both umbrella charities, such as the Richmond Group, National Voices, um, really starting to be, and the AMRC, really being able to represent a much wider group and reach into a whole host of different patient voices and patient communities. And the leads, the chief execs, when they do undertake any challenges from the board, reach directly into their respective patient communities to have their voice and their say, and it's fed back. And I'm hoping Jane can share some of that with you. But we've also got individual disease charities where the chief execs again put themselves forward that can be represented and have their voice. And outside of that, we have an even wider reach in the members of the Patient Organisation Forum, which at the moment is 45 charities strong that have come because they want to um, actually collaborate with the industry and they sit as part of the Patient Organisation Forum. And again, that's another really strong representation of the different charities, all different sizes and um, different groups that mm. sit within the patient organization forum yeah and i, I think it's useful to, to see that I, I guess the question still remains about the individual patient or the individual patient advocate outside of that 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 structure but you know there clearly are complexities you know working with with individuals and um alex i'm going to go to you first i think on on this to, to for a bit of consideration uh, around that complexity and some of the solutions i think there's a there's a you know, there's obviously a broader point here around what industry can do to reduce the administrative burden on, on the, uh, you know, patient stakeholders that we interact with, whether they're individuals or patient organizations or charities, I think this should be at the forefront of our thinking, how can we make things easier for them. Um, and there's, uh, and, and, and I think, you know, in many respects, 
COVID-19 and the lockdowns have provided some opportunity for more creative thinking in that space. And there are some easy wins here, right? Uh, so just to give you an example of something that has been a challenge for us in the early days of COVID, uh, from a legal perspective, if, you, if you're engaging a, a, you know, an individual patient, for example, or even a patient organization um, to provide some type of service without um, uh, any consideration, right, without paying a fee for that service, uh, that creates complexity from a legal point of view, because then the, the document that would sort of underpin that engagement needs to be under the form of a deed. And that means that it has to be in writing, it has to be signed in wet ink, and that signature has to be witnessed by a third party, which obviously when everyone is locked in their homes or you know, working remotely, that is like, so that's super complicated. Um, so what we have done is actually redesign our suite of template contracts covering for this particular type of interaction or this particular type of engagement to sort of remove that requirement by shifting um, you know, a little bit the, the, the legal approach in that particular type of contract. And that's worked really well. Um, and it has really helped not just you know, us from a company perspective to have, uh, you know, to, to continue to have these type of engagements also in a remote setting, in a work from home kind of environment, um, but it's also removed a lot of complexity on the, on the patient side. And uh, you know, the feedback that we've been getting is, has been quite positive on this. And I suppose that that also opens us up to being able to work with with patients who otherwise we may not have, you know, in, in the past. So that's a good point. James, is there anything you wanted to add into that? Just just really briefly, mindful of time, I uh, on the original question and responding to Alex, I think the process needs to follow the purpose. And the purpose is all about the people. I'm sorry there are so many P's here. But I, I just think on that engagement with ABPI, it's about people working with people and making sure that that lived experience is what is the starting point and actually the end point of all the work we do. There's always a risk in an industry like ours that the process becomes the most important thing. And then we figure out how to apply that to the people. Uh, and that's the wrong way around. So encouragement is a huge part of this, encouraging our industry peers to get involved, have conversations, listen, and make that the center of how we move forward in this area. Yes. So people over process, parity of power. I think we're having a wonderfully alliterative series of uh, <laughs> comments coming out of this whole session today. Um, that's pretty much brings us to time. And there's so much more that I would love to be able to pick up on with, with, with this panel. A big thank you to all of you speaking here today. I think there have been some really interesting points raised and I guess it's always a, a good sign of a session when you want it to, to be able to continue on. Um, but we, there are some more questions in there. We will try to, um, to address them independently, but thank you again to the panel and long may par parity of power with, with patients and patient organizations continue. Thank you everyone. And I think that brings us right up to time. For more information about the Patients as Partners Europe Conference, our editorial, podcast, and webinars, please visit theconferenceforum.org. Thank you, and we hope you enjoyed the podcast.